0: The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So, all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. Please take your seats. that bummer stand doesn't matter hey taproot good morning. good morning hey for those of you who may not know me my name is luis castellanos and i'm excited to be here uh, let me say a few things before we get uh, before we dive into our sermon today um I served as a youth pastor in Texas for about seven years, and um, at the end of those seven years, we really sensed that the Lord was calling us to come to the Pacific Northwest, and that pastoral ministry was in the horizon. We um, obeyed what we sensed the Lord was calling us to do, and we came to Oregon. We came to a little town called Roseburg, Oregon. Population, nobody, okay? (laughs) So we showed up there and we showed up to Roseburg uh, beat up and bruised and broken and hurting and spiritually abused and it was, uh, it was rough. Anybody ever felt that way? <laughs> and uh, what we did, we always knew that Roseburg was just a pit stop along the way and we knew that what we needed to do, we needed to grow, we needed to heal, we needed to be trained We needed um, to have some older folks around us to see if they could confirm this call to pastoral ministry or tell me if I was just crazy, you know? So we plugged into this local church, and in this little body, this community, they loved us, they cared for us, they embraced us and our family, and really God used this little community as... A healing balm to my wife and I and to our, uh, to our family. And we have been there now for five years. I'm, I served there, as, I'm still serving there as one of the pastors. And then earlier this year, we really sensed that the Lord was uh, saying that this was a year where we're going to be, uh, it was a year of discovery, where our family, we were going to give ourselves to praying and to seeking God for direction as to where He would lead us as a family uh, for the long haul. Now, we uh, had uh, some ideas of what that might look like, where we would plant as a family, but it's funny how the Lord works, and oftentimes his plans are not what we envisioned originally. And that's what happened. I mean, I'm sure you you guys have been there before. You make some plans, and the Lord says, let's scrap that, and here's what I want you to do. And so that's kind of how this whole thing came about. And um, we have been uh, very Pleasantly and positively surprised as to how the Lord has led us to come to join this community, Taproot Church. (laughs) (laughs) Now we are excited to get here, we are uh, happy, uh, at peace, we are eager to to get to know you, to serve you. to love you, to listen to your stories, to share life together. And at the same time, we're, we're nervous, we're terrified, we're overwhelmed, you know. So it's like every emotion in between. But, but one thing that, that I know is certain, and, and, um, and that is that we really sense that the Lord is calling us to come. So whether we're terrified, and we are, and we're excited and happy, and everything in between, we know that God is calling us to come and join this family and we can't wait to be here. And it's a joy, I am humbled. I am, and I'm not just saying that because you're supposed to say that, I really am. I, I am, I am humbled and uh, grateful. And I mean, I, uh, it's just a great joy to be able to stand here and to share God's word with you and to see you, uh, even though I've got this ugly sweater on. <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, I'm sorry, no, I'm just kidding. So anyway, so what we're going to do, we're going to go ahead and and dive in, and man, I I really could say a lot more about what I was talking about, but um, uh, we're going to have some time for that. So let's go ahead and, um, we're going to have time for that later, let's go ahead and now let's dive into our our sermon, Uh, and today we are going to be continuing our Advent series. We've been in this Advent series for Two weeks now, and uh, the word Advent literally means coming or arrival. And the celebration of Advent is the four weeks that lead up to Christmas when Christians all over the world look back to the first coming of Jesus and we look forward to his second coming. Now, in one sense, Christians, we should be doing this a lot, remembering and anticipating. But the four weeks of Advent that lead up to Christmas are like this intensified celebration of Jesus' first arrival, which in turn should fuel our anticipation for his second arrival. And so this season of Advent then is marked by hopeful waiting and anticipation. Now, uh, let me give you a quick recap of what we've been uh, learning and studying the past couple of weeks. Here are the cliff notes for you, okay? So Pastor Glenn and uh, guest speaker Javon Washington taught us and served this church very, very well. They reminded us of some great things the past couple of weeks. We uh, first were taught and reminded about covenants. Covenant is a chosen relationship in which two parties make binding promises to each other. We were reminded that God has been and is a faithful God who has kept his promise that he would send a savior to rescue and redeem a people, one ethnos to himself. God is a promise keeper. That is so good. We were taught about the importance of finding and knowing your roots, and then we learned that the coming of Jesus is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. God promised Abraham offspring, land, and universal blessing, and the promise to Abraham finds its culmination in Jesus as the true son of Abraham. Now today, What we're going to do this morning is we're going to see that the coming of Jesus is the fulfillment of the covenants, the promises that God made. And specifically, we're going to be focusing on the covenant that God made with David 1,000 years before the birth of Jesus. In our text, which we heard in our scripture reading, Matthew 1, 1, and then 17, boldly declares Jesus to be the fulfillment of 2 Samuel 1 chapter 7. We're going to look at that in just a little while, where God promised David that one from his own line, one from his family, one of his great-great-great-grandkids would rule forever over an everlasting kingdom. While Israel and its kingdom crumbled, the prophets kept this promise Alive. You see this in Isaiah 9, Jeremiah 33, Ezekiel 34, and after centuries of waiting and anticipating, Matthew breaks this silence with the announcement that the son of David had arrived. Then Matthew traces Jesus' lineage right through David the king and up to Joseph, another son of David, who adopts Jesus into this royal line. And as a consequence of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, Jesus is already reigning as king, though we do not yet see the full manifestation of that because that will happen when he returns. Now, Taproot, here is the big idea. Here is the overarching truth that I would like you to, uh, to remember and walk away with this— What we're going to see this morning is that Jesus, whose arrival is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, is no ordinary king. He is gracious. He is great. He rules in glory. And us, we have to respond to who he is and to what he has done. So let's pray, and then we'll keep on going. Father, it is a joy to be here this morning. God, I pray that today that you would respeak speak your word, that you would meet your people. You know us. You know exactly what we need, God. You know our struggles. You know the things that nobody else does. God, and I pray today that you would meet us. Father, I pray that you would help us to see Jesus today. Help us to see Christ. And Father, I pray that you would help me. (laughs) I'm just a vessel, God, and imperfect one. And help me to communicate your words faithfully and clearly this morning, God. And just bless this service. May Christ be the main course may he be central to what happens this morning and may taproot may this may this place may this community may we be an embassy of heaven lord and i pray this in your good name amen this may sound like a generalization but i think it's true and that is that people love stories people love stories And in those stories that we love, each of us, we have our own favorite characters. So for a second, think about some of those stories that you really, really like. Maybe it's C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. In that story, who is your favorite character? Is it Peter? Or is it Edmund? Is it Lucy? Is it Susan? Is it the lion, Aslan? Maybe you're not a Chronicles of Narnia fan, but maybe you are a J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Ring fan. Now, in that story, who is your favorite character? Is it Frodo? Is it Gandalf? Is it Aragorn? Is it Legolas? Who is your favorite character? Now, there is a movie that was just released a couple days ago, the Star Wars... <laughs> <coughs> right, the Star Wars saga. <laughs> now, in that story... Who is your favorite character? Are you old school and you go back to like Yoda or Luke or Han or Leia? Or are you into one of the new kids, you know, Ray or Finn or Jin Erso? We love stories and we've got, all of us have our different favorite characters that we love. Now, what about in the story of God as the Bible tells this? I know that the Sunday school answer would be, Jesus. So let's just get past that and really think through this, okay? Is your favorite character in the story of God maybe one of the Old Testament big three? Is it, is it Abraham, or is it Moses, or is it David? Maybe it's one of the women in the Bible. Maybe it's Ruth, or Hannah, or Esther, or Priscilla. Maybe it's one of the apostles, Peter, and I I love Peter because I'm just like that guy. I stick my whole leg into my mouth often, you know? So is it Peter, or is it James, or John, or is it Paul, the apostle? Now, if you were to ask me, I know for sure that King David would be in my top three. If we're making a top three of your favorite characters, I think that David would be one of them. The young shepherd boy who... Came out of obscurity. Nobody knew who this kid was. Everybody discarded him except God. The young shepherd boy who kills a lion and a bear. I mean, that's cool, you know? <laughs> the, the young giant slayer who rises to prominence as the king who God chose. A man after God's own heart who, you know, f- fell tremendously who sinned incredibly, he abused his authority, he murdered and coveted, but repented sincerely. A man who knew suffering well, and through it all, still remained faithful and loved God. I love David. Well, our text today, which we read, Matthew 1.1 and then 17, declares Jesus to be the son of David. David was Israel's beloved shepherd king. And listen to this what David could never be, Jesus became for us. Our good shepherd who laid down his life for us, his sheep. And he is now caring for us with relentless tenderness and persistent kindness. Jesus is the king of kings ruling over and working in all things for his glory and for our good. He is the ruler of all the kings of the earth, setting them up and setting them down at his glorious sovereign discretion. And no other kingdom but his is everlasting. This is Jesus' taproot this is the son of david now let's back up for just a second and talk about why is jesus called the son of david why is jesus called the son of david well on the side of his father joseph jesus descended by human accounting from the royal line of david he jesus is the offspring of the kingly line and jesus is the heir of all of israel's godly kings Solomon, Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, Josiah, and the rest. He is the king of the Jews. But our text says that Jesus is not just any king. He is no ordinary king. And as we looked in our text, Jesus is called the son of David. Now, Matthew uses this title 17 times, which is more than any other book in the New Testament. And the title, son of David, seems to organize the entire genealogy There are 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 more from the rise of David to the end of his dynasty when Israel was sent into exile, and then 14 more until Jesus, the son of David, was born. So this, this title seems to organize and say something important about who Jesus is, the son of David. Now in Jesus's day, there was a strong hope for a king who would restore Israel to its former glory and liberate the nation from the Roman oppression and degradation. And Israel based this hope on a promise that God gave to David. That one day, David would have an heir, that he would have a son who would bring a golden age of strength, healing, and blessing, not only for the land, but for individual people. So what I want to do this morning is I want to take back, go back into the Old Testament and take a look at the promise in 2 Samuel 7. Because I think that as we do that, we're going to see, and it's going to show us some things about Jesus, whose arrival and whose birth we are celebrating. And we are going to get a picture of who Jesus is, who the son of David is. So if you've got your Bibles, go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Look at verses 1 through 3. This is what my Bible says here. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies... The king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Now, there has been this constant theme throughout David's life, and the theme is that God has been with him. Now, the enemies of Israel have been defeated, the kingdom is established, it's united, and David sees all that God has done for Israel and for him, and he exclaims that he wants to do something for God. I mean, it makes sense. God has done so much for David, and David wants to do something back. He wants to pay back God. He wants to repay and give something back to God. And so Nathan the prophet says... All right, go ahead, go for it. Have you ever felt that way? Look at all that God has done for me, and as you look at what God has done for you in gratefulness, you say something like, Well, I want to do something for you, God. It sounds good, it sounds right, it sounds noble, it sounds like the Christian thing to do. If God is giving me all these things. i got to give God some stuff. i got to do something for Him. And what we forget is that we are a part of the kingdom of God. And this kingdom is oftentimes upside down. This is a kingdom where to be great is to be the least, where to be first is to be last, where to live you die. It's a kingdom where it's not about what you can or have done, But it's about what someone else has done for you. And his name is Jesus. Now look back at the text with me. Look at 2 Samuel 4, 7 verse 4. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought you up, brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling.'" In all places where Israel, whom I commanded... Wait, whom hello, wait a second. This here. In all the places where I've moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David... From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares that you, to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Now listen to these next few verses. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. God speaks to David, and Nathan goes to relay the message to the king. And he says essentially this, David, you've got it backwards. You don't have to build a house for God. You really don't have to do anything. God is the one who's going to build a house for you. You don't have to do something for God. God is the one who will do something for you. From your family, from your house, there will come one who will be king forever now we know taproot that the promise given then finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus and our relationship with him it's not about what we can do for him but what he has done for us now think about it what has Jesus done for you how much grace has Jesus poured out to you Now, the question then would be, how do we respond to what Jesus has done, to the grace that he has poured out? Look at how David responded. Look at verse 18. Then the king sent went when, when and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind, O God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all of this greatness to make your servant know it. Look at verse 22, therefore you are great God. There is none like you and there is no God beside you according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeem for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you establish for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, God, became their God. And now, O God, confirm forever the word that you've spoken concerning your servant and concerning this house. And do as you've spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying the Lord of hosts is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established before you. How did David respond? Worship. Praise. Praise thanksgiving, humility. Again, how do you respond to what God has done for you? How do you respond to the grace that God has poured out over your life? Now, the promise that we just read and saw that was given 1,000 years before the birth of Christ helps us to learn a few things about Jesus. Now, I want to give you two things that we can learn this morning. Then I want to talk about how we can apply this for our life. So two things that we can see, that we can get from what we just read. Number one, King Jesus is gracious, and his rule is marked by grace. King Jesus is gracious, and his rule is marked by grace. Now, Jesus' kingdom is not one that we earn, not one that we merit, not one that we deserve. It's a gift of grace. Jesus alone gives us what we need to enter into the kingdom, his perfect life, his death and burial, and his victorious resurrection. And it's not about what you can do for the king, but it's about what the king has done for us An entrance into this kingdom for us is not by birth, but it's by rebirth, and the rebirth is made possible by all that Jesus has done for us. Through this promise, what we see is grace poured out from God to David, and ultimately, we get grace poured out from God to us through Jesus. So King Jesus is gracious, and his rule is marked by grace. And the second thing that we can see here is that King Jesus is great. And he rules in glory. Now, the kingdom of Jesus is unlike any other earthly government. And that is a good thing. <laughs> that is good. And the citizens of this kingdom have no complaints, have no grievances, have no, you know, we don't fill out one of those, you know, complaint notes and send it in. We don't want to vote in another candidate. We don't want to impeach this king. His kingdom is great. Why? Because the king is good because he is truthful. There is no abuse or corruption or injustice. This king is gracious and awesome and wonderful and righteous and kind and merciful and powerful. He is great. He doesn't take from his people, but he gives and gives and never stops giving to the people that he loves. He is great and he's done great things. And this is exactly what David said. Verse 22, as he listens to what God said to Nathan, David's response is, Oh God, you are great. You have done great things. He worships. Don't you long for the kingdom of Jesus to be here in all of its fullness? Now, his kingdom is great, but it is also glorious. Our king rules in glory. And this gives me a place to, to stand and land. We can see this revealed because we know that this glorious king does not owe anything to anyone. He is the rightful owner of everything. He is the sovereign God of all of the earth. Look at verse 24. Look at David saying this about God. And you established for yourself, your people, Israel, to be your people forever. And you, God, became their God. Who is doing this? God. God. David is declaring how glorious and sovereign God is. He's the sovereign God of all the earth. He is glorious. We have received everything from Jesus, and Jesus owes nothing to anyone, and it's nothing from anyone because everything is his in the first place. We can never look to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, let us help you out. Let uh, Let me do you a solid. Jesus has given us everything. And he needs nothing, because everything is already his. He is glorious, and he rules in glory. So, two things we learn from Jesus: he is gracious, and his kingdom is marked by grace. And secondly, he is great. There's none like him, and he rules in glory. Now, everything we get in this kingdom is grace, and everything, every evidences of his grace are all around us. We, his people, then should respond because we have seen how great and how glorious he is. We have seen his glory, his goodness displayed. And this has never been more evident than when God the Father sent his son, King Jesus, to dwell with us. John chapter 1, verse 14 says it like this. The word became flesh. and made his dwelling among us. We have seen His glory and the the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is what we are celebrating and remembering this Advent season. King Jesus came to dwell with us. King Jesus came to Emmanuel with us. Now, what we've seen this morning is that Jesus' whose arrival is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant that he is no ordinary king. He is gracious. He is great. He rules in glory. And we have to respond to who he is and what he has done. So, the last thing is how do we respond? Now, I'm going to be honest with you here about some things, but let me say this first. How do we respond to Jesus? Who is great, he is gracious. Glory. How do we respond to what he, who he is, what he has done, how much grace he's poured out to you? Well, number one, I would say this. If you are not a Christian, if you just got invited to come to Taproot this morning, I would just say to you, receive this King. Believe in Jesus, who he is, what he's done. And by faith, trust in him to save you and forgive you for your sins. And I'm sure that you could talk to whoever invited you to come. And they would love to tell you more about Jesus because we love him. Now, the second thing that I would say to you if you're a Christian is this. Rest. Rest in the finished work of King Jesus. Rest. Now I know, I know some of your stories. I know what... Um, I know the story of this community, Taproot Church. I know there's, it's been a long haul. <laughs> I, I know that. So I would say to you, rest. Matthew would say this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I need some rest. <laughs> Does anybody in this church need rest? The gospel is an invitation for us to come to Jesus to be relieved of our souls of burdens and receive incomparable rest. Let me remind you of some things you know, Taproot. There is nothing else you need to do to pay God back, to earn his favor, to earn his forgiveness, to earn your salvation, to get his blessing, to get on God's good side. It's done. It's a gift of grace that you've received through faith. So rest, be settled. The sacrifice of the king was enough, one time for all time. Now, if I can be perfectly honest with you, I have a hard time resting. Anybody like me? Just ask my wife. She gets frustrated. I have a hard time being Settled in at rest. I am a doer. I'm a. I, I love checklists. I am a task guy. I I love it. It's weird. I just love it, you know. And here's what happens. I often remind my forget to remind myself of where I stand before God because of what Jesus has done for me. I forget. I forget it. I forget to remind myself that the kingdom of heaven is secured. That my enemies have been subdued and my heart gets troubled. My heart gets unsettled. I mean, literally, I was just in the ER, I don't know, a month ago with an EKG machine strapped to my chest because I have been so overwhelmed. I have been so anxious about all that we have going on as a family right now that my literal heart was having some pain it was unsettled, my soul was not at rest. I forget to practice what I preach. I I tell people, cast your anxieties on Jesus, and me, I'm like holding on to all my anxiety, you know, I'm not at rest. I forget that God is in control. I forget that he is glorious and sovereign, that he's orchestrating all things for my good in his glory. I forget that I am so loved by God. I forget that he is caring for me with tenderness and kindness. I forget about these things. And let me tell you that a troubled heart, a heart that is not settled, will lead to some very dark places. If you were to continue reading in Matthew, when you get to chapter 2, we are introduced to King Herod. Now, for, just for a second, flip over to Matthew. Whoa, that's upside down. Flip over to Matthew. And I want to read you just a couple of verses here. Three verses. I want, I want you to see this. This is important. Matthew 2 says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Look at verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Now Herod... When you compare him to King David, Herod is like the and antit- My Spanish starts to gonna get in my brain and I don't know, I don't know how to use words. He is the opposite of king. <laughs> That's better word. I was trying to go for smart and it didn't work. He is the opposite of King David. He is the anti-David. And when he heard that the king of the Jews had been born, he didn't like that. He was about to get dethroned. And what happened? Here comes entitlement, pride, anger, anxiety. Here comes a troubled heart. And what was the result of a heart that was not settled, that was not at rest? What was the result of a troubled heart? Look at verse 16 in chapter 2. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious And sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in that region that were two years old or under. According to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. This heart that was not settled, that was anxious and just troubled, led to the massacre of children. An unsettled heart. A heart that is not resting in who Jesus is, what he has done for you, where you stand before him, that you are forgiven and loved and cared for and that he is working for you. Listen, a heart that is not at rest in those truths. Oh, man, it it is scary what could happen, what we could do. So what I would say to you, Taproot, is rest. Remind yourself of what Jesus has done for us. Preach the gospel to yourself daily. Remind yourself of how loved you are and that the God of heaven is for you. That he loves you. That he's not after you trying to get you. He loves you. And that he is in control. And then let's practice what we preach and cast all our anxieties and worries and fears and stuff on him because he cares. And listen, he has given you each other. This is an evidence of his grace. Don't ever forget that. So rest. Now the second, second thing, and it, it may sound weird, so just hang with me. The second thing is this. Since King Jesus is great, Since he is glorious, since he is deserving of all of glory, we should respond by living for the glory of the great king. Now, from our rest, from a place of being settled and at peace and and, and knowing that God is for us and with us and in control, we respond. This is the paradoxical design of our redemption. How can the receiving of God's unmerited, inexpressible gift of grace, which Jesus purchased fully for us so that by faith we can rest in Christ, how can it demand a response? It kind of sounds like it, it's weird. Well, there is no contradiction in the gospel's invitation to rest and receives God's free gift of self, salvation. And in the gospel, exhortation that we should press on to make this gift our own. Our works are not decisive. They do not earn us salvation. They are just an, an outworking, an evidence of the awesomeness of what God has done for us. So from our rest, from a position of being settled and knowing where we stand before God and that there's nothing we could do to earn anything else, we respond lovingly. We are not working for our salvation. We are working it out. We should be becoming more and more like Jesus, pursuing holiness in our sanctification, all for the glory of God and for the good of others. Because we love him and we are just responding out of love, out of rest to what he has done. And how could we not love him? I mean, that's not, seriously, how could we not love him? The God of heaven authored our rescue. How could we not respond? He, you were dead and he brought you to life. Therefore, we do what Paul exhorted us in 1 Corinthians, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. Even the most menial task, do it to glorify God. We do what Paul said in Romans 12. Offer your life as a living sacrifice. And I love the word he uses. It's just reasonable that you would do this. Paul says it's, it's reasonable to offer your life as an offering, dude. So do it. So how can we glorify God, Taproot? We glorify God by enjoying Him, enjoying Him, loving Him, trusting Him, and resting in Him. And by obeying His will his commands, and law. How can we glorify God? If we truly want to honor the Savior, we do as he said, but that means not just obeying because he's going to get us or because we have to. It's not that. It's understanding how great his love is for us so that we, in love for him, want to walk with him and live for him. So taproot, let's live for the glory of God and the good of other people. Now, if I can be perfectly honest with this, Full disclosure, I don't get this right all the time either. <laughs> More times than not, I blow, I blow it. I sin. I get angry. I get impatient. I'm not kind. I'm not gracious. I'm prideful. I'm judgmental. I'm critical. The list could go on and on and on. All I am is a beggar telling other beggars where to find bread. And his name is Jesus. So we are in this journey together. I don't don't have it all figured out. We're in this journey together. Trying to live a life that glorifies God. Because I am at rest and I love what he has done for me. And the last thing that I want to tell you is how do we respond to this reminder that King Jesus is great, that he is glorious, that he rules in glory, that he is gracious? How do we respond? Well, again, we rest, we respond from our rest. And let me say this, I think this really is for you. I'm going to quote J.R.R. R. Tolkien here. We should remember that the hands of the king are the hands of a healer. Let me explain what I mean by that. I love Advent. I love the Christmas season. It is a time, great time, especially for a dad, to make memories, to make traditions, to give gifts, to be hospitable, to hang out with friends and family. It's just, it's just a great time. But at the same time, I know that this season of the year is hard for other people. It's It's a difficult season when we spend it without loved ones that maybe we have lost or who are currently suffering. Maybe you are a mom or a dad and your kids live far away and you're feeling lonely. Maybe you are a, a, a son or a daughter and your parents are not around and you are feeling alone. Maybe you have a broken relationship with a spouse or a family member or a friend. Maybe your past, for some reason, just keeps coming, creeping back in. I mean, you you name it. The list could go on and on and on why this time of the year could be difficult for some. One of the things that I said at the very beginning today is that one of the things that the Jewish people expected was for the promised king, the son of David, to bring healing for the people. And not just for the land or or a, a mass of people, but for individuals. He, the Son of David, would heal individual people. Now, it's for this reason that people would ask Jesus, the Son of David, for mercy and healing in a number of occasions, and they would appeal to him using what? The title, Son of David. In Matthew 9, we are told about two blind men who followed Jesus, crying out to him, Son of David, have mercy on us. In Matthew 15, we are introduced to this uh, Canaanite lady, a woman who had a daughter, and she was asking the son of David for mercy because her daughter was demon-possessed. We are introduced to these two blind men in chapter 20 who who followed Jesus, who who, uh, were crying out to him they were rebuked by the crowd and then they yelled even louder son of david have mercy on us the son of david could heal people and even think about david the king think about david's mighty men this tribe of outcasts and thieves And cave dwellers, and this motley crew came to follow David. There was something about the king, his very presence did something for these band of outcasts. Well, my, what I want you to remember today, Taproot, is this. Remember that the son of David, Jesus, offers his strength to the weak and the wounded. He himself knew suffering. He himself was acquainted with grief. And he is our hope. And he gives hope to the yearning heart. Because the mighty king, The son of David is a tender healer, and he is close to us, the brokenhearted. The title, son of David, is a title of healing strength. So today, if you're anything like me, and you're burdened, and you're tired, and you're weary, and you're ready to throw in the towel and quit, the son of David says to you, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Don't forget, Taproot, that the Son of David is for you. He is for you. So as we see Jesus, for who he is, gracious, great, glorious. I mean, the the adjectives, could just keep on going as we see him for who he is, the fulfillment of the promise that God gave to David, we respond. First, be at rest and be settled with all that God has done for you. And from there, out of love, respond by living a life for the glory of God. And then for all of us who need some healing and strength, The Son of David is for us. He is close to us. He loves us. Let's pray. Father, there is none like you. Father, you are great. You have been so gracious. Lord I pray that today those of us who may be tired those of us who may be whose hearts may be um, troubled or unsettled God let us let us find rest in Jesus God meet us Meet your people this morning. Remind them, God, that you love them, that you care for them, that you are in control of all things, even those things that seem like a dark providence. And help us to remember that you, God, are behind even those dark things, Lord, orchestrating things for our good and for your glory. So help us to find... Rest in what Christ has done for you. Help us to find rest in the fact that you are glorious and sovereign and good and great, Lord. And Lord, because we love you, God, we want to glorify you with our life. We don't get it right all the time. We mess up and we will continue to do so, God. So give us grace to continue on this journey, Lord. Thank you for this community, Lord. You know them better than I do. So go to work now, Lord, in a thousand different ways that I could never think about. Go to work and give healing and strength and, and blessing and grace. Pour more grace out, Lord. And thank you for Christ, the God who took on flesh. Thank you for Jesus, Lord. In your name I pray.